Can you imagine what it would be like to spend your whole life blind, never seeing anything, no light, no images, no beauty, and then something, someone come into your life and touch your eyes and then able to see? I love that clip from Jesus of Nazareth there, 1970s. An amazing clip, but one of the things I loved so much was as soon as the man's eyes were healed, what did the first thing he do? The man looked up. The man looked up. Today we're going to look at the connection between being healed and looking up. Hey, if you're here for the first time today, we welcome you to Highlands Church. My name is Graham Baird, the pastor of Highlands, and we hope that you feel the, the power of what's happening in our church and in this community through the Holy Spirit. I had a wonderful time at uh, men's retreat. I led this last weekend in Merced, which is another way for you to give back to the world. And thank you for letting me be away. We also want to welcome those listening on our podcast today. Two places, one from Cedar City, Utah. Welcome. And also from Carson City, Nevada. Thank you for listening in our podcast. We hope that you feel as much a part of this church as if you were here in this room today. Well, we are uh, on our very beginning of our new series called Look Up. And I have to say, this series came to me this summer as I was reading my Bible, as we've just looked at the series about journey and how the first part of the journey is being fed, and the second part of the journey is feeding ourselves, and the third part is feeding others. I was feeding myself this summer, and I was reading the Bible. Now, one of the things I encourage you to do if you are in the self-feeding phase of the Bible, which all of us are, including myself, is to look for consistencies. Look for things that come up again and again and again. In the old days, they didn't have punctuation, they didn't have uh, amplification systems, so the only way they could actually get through to people, get through to me, was to say them again and again and again. It'd be, when Star says, take out the garbage once, you know, you can let that one go, but what happens again and again and again, you better do something about it. Uh, Today, we're going to look at some phrase that comes up again and again. I want to show you this, and I want you to be feeding yourself this next week as you look at this phrase. Just find it in the Bible again and again. I was reading the book of Genesis, and God says to Abram, one of the beginning patriarchs, he says, look up at the heavens and count the stars. He tells this to Abram just to look up and see about his future. And then a few books later in the book of Job, remember that we're going to look at this next week where Job is in this terrible crisis in his life. His family have died, his crops have all burned, a fireball comes from the sky. You know you're going to have a bad week when a fireball comes from the sky. God says this to Job, look up to the heavens and see a gaze so high above. And then thousands some odd years later when Jesus is with the disciples again, Jesus is telling them what the end times are going to look like. And then he says at the end of it, and when these things happen... When these things take place, look up, lift up your heads, for redemption is drawing near. When we hear these phrases again and again, we should really take note of them. And now I was preparing for communion this week, and I was looking at our wonderful worship tradition from 2,000 years. 2,000 years, people have been saying a phrase together before they do communion. We'll do it today. The pastor stands up and says this, the Lord be with you. And then the congregation also says this, say this with me. And also with you. And then the pastor says, look up, lift up your hearts. And the people all say, there is something important here that God is trying to tell us. Now, a lot of times when we say the word look up in our society, it's usually for someone who's kind of feeling down. Uh, It kind of is synonymous with buck up. I had a Boy Scout leader, a Cub Scout leader once literally said, I couldn't believe she said that she said, buck up, little campers. I couldn't believe she actually said that, but that is not what we're meaning when we're saying look up. It's not buck up, little campers. It's actually a spiritual lifting of our hearts. It's a lifting of our souls, our bodies, our faces, our heads, and we're called to do that. That's like one of the things that we're supposed to do as, as God followers. 
Let's take a look at our text today. It's actually a different healing than the one we saw. Jesus healed hundreds of people who were blind, and he did it in many different ways. In the text we just saw, he put mud on the man's eyes. The text we're about to look at, Jesus does it a slightly different way. But again, what we're going to look at is the connection between looking up and being healed. Let's look at our text. We're looking at Mark, which is the oldest text in the Bible. We're going to look at verses 22 through 26. Here's God's word. Now they came to Bethsaida. This is a city up north. Don't confuse it with Bethesda, which is down in Jerusalem. And some of the people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to heal him, to touch him. People were always asking Jesus to touch people, and he would often do that, and he would heal people. Now, he did an unusual, three unusual things here. The first unusual thing he does is he takes the man by the hand, I wish I could have seen this, and he led him outside the village. There are a lot of things in the Bible we don't really understand, and we don't know why he did this. It could have been like Nazareth. Remember when Jesus was in his hometown, and he tried to do a miracle, but he couldn't do anything because no one had a faith in that town? Maybe it was Bethsaida. Maybe it was a secret he was trying to keep, but he leads him out of the town, and then he does another unusual thing. Again, many times when Jesus heals, he would put mud on or he would put his hand on, but he actually spits in the eyes of this man. He hawks up two loogies in the eyes of this man. Now, if somebody hawks a loogie up in your eye, it's not a good thing, but if it's God who does it, just go with it, okay? So he spits in this man's eyes. Now, the third unusual thing that happens here is Jesus asks him, are you a well? Are you well? Do you see? Almost always when Jesus heals, he actually says, get up, move on, go sin no more. He doesn't ask. But something in Jesus's mind causes him to think that actually maybe this didn't take. So he asks him, do you see anything? Now, here's the key phrase for our text today. He looked up. There's a connection between his being healed and his looking up. He says this then, I see people and they look like trees walking around. Again, this is another verse we don't really understand. Some people have said this is some middle reality like the Ents from Lord of the Rings. Probably not a good interpretation. But he just can't see clearly. One of the great preachers of all time, Bruce Larson, who taught at University Presbyterian. He also taught at Crystal Cathedral. He gave a great sermon about how some people need to be touched twice. It's not just the first touch in your life, you also need the second touch. Maybe that's how you feel today. You were at a youth camp a long time ago and God touched your life, but sometime in the near future, you just need to be touched again. And God can do that today through the power of the Spirit. So Jesus touches the man again. One more time, he puts his hands on the man's eyes and his eyes were opened. Notice this is what happens when anyone either comes to Christ or is healed. Same thing, by the way. His eyes were opened, number one. His sight was restored, number two, and he saw everything. That's what God does in our lives. He opens our eyes, he restores our wholeness, and he helps to see the world clearly. We see the world differently when we see it in the kinds of eyes that God wants us to have. And then a third or fourth strange thing he does is he says, don't go back to the village. Again, we don't know why. Maybe there were people of non-faith there. Maybe he didn't want the secret out about how Jesus had come into the world yet. But here we have a story of a man who had been blind his whole life. God came into his life. He touched the man. The man looked up. He participated. As Dan said, it's an interactive relationship we have with God. He looked up to God, and then God touched him again, and he was healed. 
So we're going to look at today. I want to talk about the connection between looking up and, and being healed. So it's, it, the summer's over, in case any of you didn't know. Whenever you hear the band playing outside and football Friday night lights and you see yard sales outside, you know it's the end of summer. And I love times like this. It's such a wonderful fall. This is the coolest fall we've ever had. It's cool temperature-wise. It's a reflective time. And I was thinking back to my favorite vacations in my life. And one of them was this great trip we took to Yellowstone Park when I was like 12. When there were very few people who went up there those days. And we went on a great canoe trip out of Old Faithful Lodge out onto Yellowstone Lake. We took five canoes. And each of these canoes were weighted down. If you've ever been on a canoe trip, you can load it up with 500 pounds. So we had like 501 pounds in our canoe. <laughs> they were really riding low in the water. And you can bring anything in these canoes. You can bring cantaloupes, watermelons, cans of beans. I mean, we did. We just, you know, it's not like backpacking where it has to be freeze-dried food. We took all of this weight and headed out. It was a crystal clear day. Paddled across Yellowstone Lake. Then we portaged which means you pulled your canoe up the river, a beautiful little stretch up the river to a wonderful lake called Lewis Lake, way up, up high in Yellowstone. Now, whenever you go up into the high mountains of anywhere, storms can hit, right? And they move in very quickly. So we took our canoes, and this was the last stretch. We just had to, <coughs> excuse me, cross the lake and head to the other side, and we were done for the day. It was pretty much a wonderful day. Nothing had happened until a storm began to hit. And when the storms come in the mountains, they just instantly hit, and the rain started to fall, the wind came, and the waves got higher and higher, four and five foot waves, and our groomans, which were packed to 501 pounds, they were bobbing up and down. And one of the things you don't want is for your canoe to go sideways in a storm, because it'll, if a wave hits you on the side, it can actually tip your canoe. It actually had tipped my dad's canoe five years before and sunk his canoe. He didn't tell us that before we took the trip. Thank you, Dad. He yelled that to us as we were on this lake fighting these waves, fighting forward in these waves. Make sure your canoe is forward. And we yelled, why? Because I lost my canoe five years ago. Thanks. So we battled literally four hours on this lake, you know, forwards, backwards, and these heavily laden canoes until we got across this lake, and it wasn't a very pleasant canoeing experience. We got there about five o'clock, and we were dead tired, and so we went into our tents and just went to sleep right away. We just had chicken soup for dinner, and we went right to bed. Well, I had forgotten that I had set my alarm clock on my wristwatch for 3 a.m., and the reason was a park ranger said that 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 at 3 a.m., if we were awake, we would actually see the greatest meteor shower we'd seen in a long time. When the alarm went off, boop, 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 I thought it was one of those dump trucks or these, uh, I thought I was in a different place. I thought it was one of these garbage trucks picking up our garbage. But as I was there, and you know how it is when you get woken up in the middle of the night, you just can't get back to sleep again. I said, well, I'll go out there. And so I went out, and where there had been a great storm, it is now totally calm, and the lake was glassy, and I got in the canoe, and I headed out to the middle of the lake, and I looked up, and I lay back in the canoe, and there was this great chandelier spread out across the sky. There was this great fireworks display of meteors just shooting by, and if there was ever a moment that God was trying to tell me there will be storms in this life, there will be waves that you have to go through, but if you will just look higher than the the waves that you're in to a higher place, I will show you something great. 
And I believe that's what God wants to tell us today. And actually, I believe this is a critical piece of our faith. That if we will be a people of faith, what does faith really mean? We'll look at this in our second point, but it really means lifting our heads higher than the plane of this world. So I want to reflect with you about that because it's critical to our faith. Again, the Bible brings this phrase up, look up, look up, look up, look up, hundreds of times. The first thing I want you to just recognize with me is that almost everything in this world has the tendency to draw our gaze downward. Almost everything has the tendency to draw our eyes downward. Anybody remember a Saturday Night Live, a sketch called Debbie Downer? Anybody remember that? I used to watch Saturday Night Live before I had a two-year-old, and now my Saturday Night Night is just live enough. I don't need to stay up and watch a show. But you remember Debbie Downer? She was always, whenever people were happy and just celebrating, she'd always have a little something to say that would just bring everybody down. Remember this, uh, Ben Affleck is having a birthday party, and they're having cake, and Ben Affleck says, I think I'll make a wish. What will you wish for? A Corvette, says one. Then Debbie Downer says this, well, I wish that they would just release that poor hostage in Iraq. And then the music goes, wah, wah. And then the second one is, does anyone want a piece of cake? You see that the crowd are actually trying to bring people's gaze a little higher. And she says, not for me. With all of the refined sugars today, the nation is seeing a great rise in childhood diabetes. Wah, wah. And then the group tries to bring the gaze up of the group a little bit higher. And thank you so much, Frank, for coming in from North Carolina and the wonderful thing for flying her in for my birthday party. And, and, and Debbie says, well, I, at least Jean didn't get in the way. And then one person says, Jean? Jean who? And she said, Hurricane Jean? Hundreds and hundreds of people have died. They're still counting bodies in Haiti. Wah, wah. We all have people in our lives that have the tendency to be like Debbie Downer. And I want to actually emphasize that it's our call as Christ followers to be connected to the realities of this world. Is, is, uh, Chris prayed in the prayer. He prayed about San Bruno and he prayed about uh, the 9-11 atrocity. It's our call to actually be connected to these things. But not forever. Our call is to be connected to these things and then raise our sights higher to something higher. In 1679, one of the greatest physicists in all time discovered one of the greatest physics dynamics in the history of the world. For years and years and years, people wondered how the planets were held in alignment, how the moon stayed in its orbit. And the mythic story goes that in 1679, Isaac Newton is sitting underneath the tree, and what falls on him? An apple. And he wonders how that apple falls, and, and he figures out that there's a force which draws everything in this world downwards. Actually, Christians thought about this a long time before. People who followed God thought about this in the book of Genesis. There was a couple by the name of Adam and Eve, and they were given this tree, and they were told by God, whatever you do, don't eat of that tree. And then they took an apple and they ate it, and what did we call that? The fall. Interestingly, we didn't call it the rising, did we? We called it the fall. And ever since the very beginning of time, we have recognized as humans that there are things which just draw our gaze downwards. There is this force which pulls us downwards in our lives. Let me look at just a quick list of things and you think about your own life. Health issues, 
there are huge health issues in the world right now. And that, I've just gone over this 10-day thing, whatever it is, the flu, whooping cough, whatever it is. And I just have to say that I had to fight day in and day out to keep my spirits up through this thing. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and it's going very well? Then somebody says, did you hear about Susie? Oh, no. You got to hear this story. And then the conversation starts to draw you downwards into a gossip train. Conflict. There's nothing like conflict to draw our hearts downwards. It doesn't even have to be our own conflict. It could be a conflict of our kids, our family, our workspace. Financial struggles, employment woes, existential angst. This is the kind of angst where you ask, do I really matter? Should I have been born? Does anything matter? And these questions can lead us upward, but they can also lead us downwards. And then finally, the news. Has anybody noticed the news is just getting more and more depressing? I don't even know if it's the stories of the news that are depressing. It's just the news tellers. I mean, Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson wrote this about the news. This is a guy who helped found our country. I really look with commiseration over the great body of fellow citizens who, reading newspapers, live and die in the belief that they have known something of what's happening in the world. I don't actually think it necessarily tells us what's happening in the world. It just tells us the bad things that are happening in the world. I I love to look at the faces of people who have spent their whole lives in the news. And I I respect them because that's hard work. That's literally spending your life in the mud. One of my great, uh, my favorite reporters, Jack Germond, who's passed away now. Great reporter. But you look at his face and you see etched on his face the lines of a man who has spent his whole life having his plane pulled downwards. Or you look at the face of another guy, Robert Novak. They actually called him Dr. Death. He was this guy who just was always looking for bad news. Now, I just want to hasten to add one thing. Not everything in this world is meant to pull us downwards. There are sunsets. There are conversations. There are encouragements. There are gifts, there are songs, there are people which can pull us upwards, but most things have the tendency to pull us downwards. Second point is this. The definition of faith, faith is actually looking higher than the things of this world. That's what faith is. The definition of faith is trust. That's really what trust means. I I know this, not being disconnected from this, but actually looking higher than the things of this world. This book here is a book of people who lived in awful realities, and yet they lifted their heads higher. They lifted their souls higher on a daily basis. One of my favorite stories is Jeremiah. This is a guy who was in exile. He was a slave to the Babylonians. He's living in the desert. Think about the slaves of Auschwitz or Nuremberg. His people were being treated similarly. And he had this vision from God, weird vision, that he should um, buy a piece of property in Judah. That would be like somebody saying, I've got a wonderful piece of real estate in Kabul, Afghanistan. You've got to look at it tomorrow morning. It's a great investment. Or I really think you should move to North Korea. There's a wonderful piece of property, riverfront in North Korea. You'd, you'd be, think you were crazy. But Jeremiah was told this by God to buy this property. He did. Now, here's the thing. He died. And then generation passed, and generation passed, and generation passed. And then finally, the Babylonians lost their power, and the people moved home. And the people of promise moved to the promised land. 
It was because Jeremiah, in a tough time, decided not to just focus on the things here, but to focus on something higher. We're in a very tough time in our country right now. This is a weekend in which we are commemorating and remembering nine years ago, September 11th. And all of us have been watching images all day long on TV. And I got to say that my big worry for our country, but more importantly for people of faith, is that this thing is having a tendency to draw us as a country and as a people of faith downwards. Whether it be burning Korans or building mosques, it doesn't matter. It's drawing us into this worse place, not a better place. Did you know that the only two firemen to survive, survived by looking upwards in the midst of that terrible crisis? A guy on the left is a guy named by the name of Will Jimeno. And he actually came to faith while he was trapped in the, in the World Trade Center that had fallen on him. Many of his comrades had been killed in this terrible uh, tragedy where these, pla- these planes had flown into the building and both buildings had fallen. And these two men were left alive in this elevator shaft, McLaughlin and Jimeno. Their friends were all killed on each side of them. One of their friends who was killed actually had a gun belt that went off because the fire was so hot, it actually made the bullets go off on the side. They were going around as they were trapped in this dark, dark space in this nowhere place. These bullets are going off and they are sure they're going to die. And then Jimeno writes this. It's one of the most powerful stories of faith that I've heard in a long time. He writes this. I was exhausted. I had done everything as a police officer I could do and everything as a human being I could think of. I just knew I was going to die. And then he says he saw this strange light. He was in a black elevator shaft and he saw this strange light a white glowing robe and a rope belt. And I couldn't see his face, but I knew it was Jesus. And at that moment, he says, I had a resurgence to fight. Turning to McLaughlin, I said, we are going to make it out of this hellhole. The U.S. Marines and the NYPD then lifted the two men out of their prisons. Then he writes later, the events of that day have given him a new perspective on the brevity of life. He noted that if even a person, if every person today lives to say 90, if all of us live to 90, that's only a little over 32,000 days. That's not that many, 32,000 days. And you have a choice in those 32,000 days to do what is right and what is good. And you have a choice in these 32,000 days to lift your head or to let it fall. And I will say that because the world's forces will try to pull your head and your body and your soul downwards, you actually have to fight this. You know, a lot of people don't think about that. Faith is not just like this trust. It's a will. It's a strong will to fight against the forces which will bring us in a different place. And so each day, some of us have to actually wake up and say, I'm going to lift my head. This is why Christians for years have said, lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Lift up your head. That's what it means to be a person of faith. And it isn't just your life. We as people of faith, if you are lifting your head in the midst of a crisis, will be an example to other people. Last thing I want to do is just talk to people today who are sick, who are not well. And I can't believe the number of people who have psychological, spiritual, and physical illness right now. We had a new members class, about 10 to 15 people, and two of those people have a chronic illness. The number of people that are coming into my office who have chronic, physical, and psychological illnesses right now is huge. 
So I just want to speak to you today if you have some one of those three categories of illness. And I just want to say that there is a combination in being healed of being, number one, touched by Jesus, and number two, looking up in your life, of looking up in your life. So there's this little boy that Nancy Orberg talks about in one of her sermons, and he goes to the emergency room. And there in the emergency room, he has this asthma attack, and they can't figure out what the deal is, and they've given him antihistamines and all kinds of drugs. But the little boy, they can't figure out why he can't breathe. And this goes on for a year. And he comes in and out of this emergency room, and they can't figure out, like, what's wrong with this poor kid? Finally, and I can't believe it took a year, one of the doctors had the foresight to look up his little nose. And there they found something lodged that shouldn't have been there. They found a jelly bean story. A little black jelly bean launched up in there. That poor little guy had that thing up there for a year. I guess a year before his brother had shoved that thing up there. Now, when they pulled that jelly bean out, a whole lot of unpretty stuff came out with it. But that was the beginning of healing for him. So the last thing I want to ask you before you, you take communion today is what is a little black jelly bean of your life? What's that little thing stuck up your nose? <laughs> Sorry, I won't keep this thing going. Now, I don't want to diminish this. I know there are a lot of people who have chronic illnesses, and we live in a fallen world, and there are illnesses, and there's nothing we can do to actually look up through them. We can look up through them, but we can't actually think our way to health. And there are a lot of faith systems which put that out there, and they do more damage than good. But I do want to say this. I, I know some of what you guys are dealing with. I, I developed a chronic sickness when I was uh, in college, 1995, I developed chronic fatigue syndrome. As you can see, this is a picture of me. I went with Dan Stevens to Mozambique. I'm in the back of a truck, and I am not exactly healthy here in this picture. I was running my little life a little too hard at that moment. And so for me, looking up in my life has been at this physical presence. I have to do six things, and I have to think about them each day. And I've come up with an acronym. And if you're in some period of sickness, I just encourage you to think about what this means for you looking up. You've got to have social interaction. You've got to talk to people who are interesting and you really want to get fed by. You've got to watch your health, nutrition, intellectual experience. You've got to actually think things that are going to keep your brain going, your synapses connecting. Creative experience. You've got to do something that you feel called to do, whether that's cooking or, or doing music. Exercise, even when you're not feeling well. And finally, religious experience and sleep. Those are the things that will keep you be able to not just lift up your head, but to lift up your life to God. We live in a world that will try to pull us in a different direction. We as people of faith are called to fight that tendency, to fight that urge. And that's why when Jesus came to this table and he was about to face something that was so painful, even he dreaded the thought of being killed on a cross. When he was heading into a place that was so dark that no one in this room could ever have taken it on. He lifted the heads of the disciples one last time. And right before so, he said words that were similar to this, and I want you to say them with me, and I want you to say them with meaning, like you really mean it. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Lift up your hearts. Lift up your hearts. And then Jesus took a loaf, and he blessed it, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. 
And he said, this is my body, which I break for you. Take and eat ye all of it. Lift up your hearts. The same way Jesus took a cup and he poured it out. And he said, this is my blood, which I pour out for the remission of your sins, which I pour out for the tendency to pull you downwards. Drink ye all of it. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you declare my death and I will come again.